is episode 155, I think. I feel like that's how many acting credits Nick Cage has. <laughs> I'm looking now, it says 110, so we're close. I wonder if he can remember all the stuff he's made. I wouldn't be surprised if he could. He seems like someone who really cares about cinema, even outside of the character he played in this film. Did you know he named his secondborn Cal L? Yes, I did. I did not. You I- know that his name is Nick Cage? Because he was a fan of Luke Cage, the Marvel character. Really? The, the notoriously black Marvel character. I had no idea. I knew he changed it from Coppola, but yeah, that's why his name is Cage. It's a Coppola or Coppola? Coppola. Coppola. Yeah. Well, here we are, Gabe. We're back. Gabriel. 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 We are talking about the new film that came out the same day as The Northman. This is Lionsgate. Coming back to life. Not that they were ever gone. (laughs) Good joke. Zing! I'm on fire today. Good pun. I've been sipping my Americano. If you watch the movie, you might be laughing if you remember that joke. Not that they were ever gone. Yeah. We are talking about the new meta bromance comedy between Pedro Pascal and Nick Cage called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Yeah. Directed by Tom Gormican. Something I feel myself often you do suffer from almost uh, every day delusions of grandeur <laughs> from <laughs> intense narcissism and delusions of grandeur for sure well yeah let's talk about gormican he's directed two films this is his second the first one was a cute again sort of rom-com-ish type film starring three friends michael b jordan zach efron and miles teller and I saw that movie a while ago when it came out and it was, I thought it was good. Like I, you know, I thought it was a well proficiently made film. And this also is another kind of in the same style, like as if, you know, it, 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 it teeters on that feeling of being proficiently made, well-made film, but with the balancing the comedy and then being able to jump in and out of sort of the ham fisted nature, then, then hit with the emotional beats and back and forth like that. That is a lot how uh, that awkward moment that that film I was just referencing with Zach from Michael B. Jordan and Miles Teller played. So it's, this is sort of very reminiscent of the same tone, just while dealing with a very different uh, set of utensils. And that was eight years ago, and he hasn't done anything yeah. really since, except he worked on he, a... He wrote Ghosted. Never or, watched that. Although now I want to see anything that Adam Scott is involved with. Mm-hmm. He worked on that show. He you wrote watch it. Parks and Recreation. Yeah, that's a classic. It's so good. <laughs> he worked on that with uh, the writer from this film that he co-wrote the script with, who is Kevin Etten. Uh-huh. And uh, because this is a review episode, we're not going to go too deep as far as the production of this thing, but we'll talk about the casting a little bit. Uh, we got Nicolas Cage as himself, Pedro Pascal, Coming hot off of his cinematic... He's everywhere. I was going to say, hot off of his, his last cinematic appearance in, in Wonder, Wo- in Wonder Woman <laughs> 1984. <laughs> we got Pedro Pascal's Javi. Gutierrez. And he was uh, so lovable in this film. Neil Patrick Harris is Nicolas Cage's agent. Richard Fink. Uh, Sharon Horgan, who has been in many things. And she she voices a lot of voices actually in a lot of cartoons like Bojack Horseman and Adventure Time. But she played his his ex-wife, Olivia, 
and then their daughter is played by Lily Mo Sheen. That's uh, Michael Sheen and Kate Beckinsale's daughter. Wow, that's interesting. Fun fact that I just read. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she plays Addie, and then Pedro Pascal's uh, love interest in this film, Gabriella, is played by Alessandra Mostranardi, who I first saw in Master of None season two. She's the reason that show is cemented in my mind. Um, dude, no, seriously. Season two of Master of None is, uh, it's like OA season two. It's like very, very quality. Uh, very, very good. Then Tiffany Haddish plays a CIA agent named Vivian, accompanied by Ike Barinholtz as the other CIA agent, Martin. And then uh, Pedro Pascal's cousin, who ends up being the bad guy of the film, his name is in the, in the film is Lucas Gutierrez, and he's played by Paco Leon. Demi Moore was in this movie. <laughs> Some cameos here and there. there were oh, supposed that to was be. Demi Moore? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. They they call her that in the film, too. Sharon or uh, Olivia was like, they were remarking how they got Demi Moore to play Nick Cage's wife in the, in the meta film adaptation of the story of this film. Yeah. I did not catch that. Anyway... She looked different. Can you, yeah. <laughs> Can you quickly recount the story here? In six sentences or less? Maybe let's, let's try, let's try eight sentences. I won't keep track. I will. Uh, this, this film is loosely, not even loosely. It's like a surrealist retelling of uh, our Nicolas Cage from this earth, earth 151 or whatever. So this character is Nick Cage in this universe who's different. Uh, there are a lot of differences. He's he's much more... The film starts out, he's this crazy egocentric narcissist who is just in the twilight stage of his career. He's trying to get this one big role that's going to like revitalize his career with uh, David Gordon Green, so another cameo. Who's that? He's the guy who did Halloween Kills. I, I want str- to... I love him. He's so great. I guess they're friends. He directed It's Nick almost Cage. like King Lear. Yeah, anyway, Nick Cage is trying to get this one big gig to revitalize his uh, ailing, dwindling career. Yeah, dwindling. And uh, he doesn't get the part, so his agent, Neil Patrick Harris, sets him up with a birthday gig that's going to pay out big, but Nick Cage doesn't want to do it until it's all he has left. He thinks, all right, fine, we'll do this one gig, and then I'm going to retire from acting because no one appreciates him him, and my massive talent, is what he's thinking. So he goes to... uh, where do, where do they go? Where is it? Spain. It's Spain. Yeah. To meet up with Pedro Pascal. Javi is this uh, reclusive, elusive, mysterious millionaire who is having a birthday party and, beca- and is a massive fan of Nick Cage. And so they have Nick Cage come to the island to be at his birthday party. They, through over the course of several days, become very close. And they have uh, this kinship and this love, not only of Nick Cage's film career, but of movies in general, of 100 Years of Cinema, and they bond really hard over that. Yeah. The CIA intervenes. They come out of nowhere. They've been watching Javi. They believe he's the head of this arms cartel that is operating and is doing a lot of damage in Western Europe. They recruit Nick Cage out of the blue to spy on Javi, of which he has this uh, moralistic crisis over, but he does it. And... The plot continues moving forward. They spend more time together, and eventually it is revealed that uh, it's Javi's cousin who is the lead in this drug cartel, Lucas. This great character actor just plays this great, crazy, just seems like a Nick Cage 
movie villain. One of the things I'll mention is one of the plot devices that uh, Nick Cage uses to stay in the vicinity of Pedro Pascal is that oh, yeah. uh, they're going to write a movie together, write a script together. Because mm-hmm. that's I'll be referring to that. So Yeah. Javi has also brought... Javi, at this point, since Lucas is revealed to be the villain, we know now Javi is just this hard of gold, lovable oaf. And he's brought Nick Cage's family to the island to help them come to terms with each other. They have a tenuous, kind of a strange relationship, Nick Cage and his wife and his daughter, because he's always been focused on his career. Ex-wife. The reason Javi brings him to the island is because he feels that uh, this estrangement is getting in the way of Nick's creativity as they try to write the screenplay that Steven mentioned. (laughs) This amazing adult character-driven drama drama that is uh that turns into for grown-ups yeah for grown-ups and it turns into so <laughs> it turns into this meta it basically blends into our film the third act becomes this action sequence uh because there needs to be something forever there has to be there has to be a hook you know for the general audience you got to sell it it's all marketing uh anyway lucas ends up kidnapping nick cage's daughter to join another girl he kidnapped from the beginning of the film because they're trying to do some sort of political maneuver. Seize the presidency of Catalonia. Yeah. And uh, Nick Cage and Javi then have to go rescue Nick Cage's daughter and the other girl from Lucas. And that basically sets us into the third act where they do. Uh, <laughs> Nick Cage pretends to be another uh, kingpin figure. It's really funny in this prosthetic and makeup. And they save their daughter and they end up making the screenplay out of their experiences on the Spanish coast, uh, and everybody lives happily ever after. Javi is now a Hollywood screenwriter. Nick Cage has pretty much restored his relationship with his family. He got a standing ovation. Yeah, everybody loves the new film, which is, I think, in that universe called Massive Talent or something. They show a poster of it at the very end uh, when they're pulling out. And uh, yeah, that's where we're at. Nick Cage has come around, and all is well. That's where we see Demi Moore. Demi Moore plays his wife in the film. <laughs> That they're yeah. making. Mm-hmm. That's basically it. This film is obviously a commentary on Hollywood and screenwriting. Yeah. Um, and it's it it's very very meta. Oftentimes meta within meta. I would I would call it on the nose, but it's it's done in such a way that it actually is so charismatic that you're enjoying the process. Yeah, I think this film only worked because of the charisma of yeah. the two leads. Because of the two leads. Yeah, I, I agree. But I also think it was a clever script. Like, I was laughing for the first, I don't know, half hour of the film because it's essentially, you know, a narcissistic Nick Cage and ta- he's talking to himself. He he kisses himself oh, yeah. at one point. And it's so <laughs> funny. It was so clever. But, you know, I say meta because it's very self-referential. The, the more that the film goes on, the more the characters talk about the film that they're making, which is the film that we're watching. Uh-huh. And they're, they're both commentating like live while it's happening on that film, sometimes creating drama out of nothing scenarios, like taking LSD and thinking people are after him. Yeah. And then also it being, you know, funny for if you're, if you're clever enough to catch it because you know, you're watching the thing that they're narrating essentially. So and that happens all throughout the film. And again, sometimes it is pretty heavy handed or ham fisted. It can be cheesy, but it plays off well because of the meta commentary. 
I really liked it. I would I would give it like a B plus probably. Um, as far as films go, I give it an A minus. There you go. I love this film, and like like we said, this is pretty much entirely due to the power of both Nick Cage as this iconic movie star. He is pretty much an institution, I think, at this point in time. He's an A list actor who for 30, 40 years has taken you know there uh, you know in his past he's he's had a lot of financial struggles because he he likes to spend money so he ends up taking all these roles that yeah are just for your job and, and they talk about that in the film how he looks at this as a job it's not necessarily that he's this artist actor as his his younger version of himself in the film states often you're not an actor you're a movie star yeah which are two separate things and so but again he has staunchly advocated that this uh surrealist version of himself is not accurate that he has actually even in other performances of his in the past played more accurate versions of himself oh yeah um but in in fact he he almost didn't take the role i was reading that it took some convincing including a like a letter that tom gormican wrote to nicholas cage to get him to convince him to take the role because yeah they were insistent that this isn't a lampooning mm-hmm of Nicolas Cage and his career that this is like a love letter like a celebration yeah it's a celebration exactly both both of him and his career and of cinema like in general they the way they talk about movies in this film is really uh sweet and inspiring at times and Mm -hmm. reminds me of conversations that we've had about film Mm -hmm. Uh, even so much that I said after we were walking out that I'd love to listen to a podcast between those two the Nick Cage in this film and Javi yeah the character of Javi. Yeah. The Pedro Pascal character. And they go all the way from like the beginning of the, like 1920, I think was the cabinet of Dr. Caligari mm-hmm. and like German. Surrealist. Yeah. Like black and white uh, silent film mm-hmm. moving into Paddington 2 and the modern era of. Which is like one of the most <laughs> celebrated films ever. Yeah. Apparently. Everyone one, I've ever heard. One talk, of the best sequels. It's, it's amazing. And I want to go back and revisit Nick Cage's career now because i haven't seen a lot of i've seen con air but i have not seen face off have you ever seen the rock i have seen the rock that the rock, rock is an awesome movie the rock is like at least in my memory it was an awesome movie i haven't seen it the rock years. i think is i think it was michael bay i think it's michael bay's best film yeah, yeah. it was like it's one of his first films it's like it's like and it's also not just nick cage it's like sean connery's bond send-off too yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah I, I need to i haven't i didn't We're know i have a bond off I haven't. I actually haven't seen Wild at Heart either, mm-hmm. which was where this young. We see Stephen mentioned Nick Cage kisses Nick Cage in this film. We see uh, three or four times in this film a in Cage's mind he sees a younger version of himself that is like a representation of his career. Uh, others like his persona, yeah, his persona in his mind, yeah, his residual self image to use a Matrix reference, and it's uh, it's his Wild at Heart Neil, character, Neil Patrick Harris. What? Yeah. Yeah, it's wild a, hard character. Uh, circa that crazy Wogan interview he did, mm. where he's just like, it's one of the iconic crazy Nick Cage moments where he's just insane, and he plays that exact mm-hmm. crazy version of himself mm-hmm. as this younger person, and he is, like Steven said, he 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 smooches himself and he smooches good, is what he said. Yeah, and like uh, Javi's paraphernalia room and or Nick Cage memorabilia uh, museum is is beautiful. And, and weird they even have like his newer stuff like mandy's uh chainsaws in there and it's funny you mentioned his career and how, and all his debts and the work he's taken in the last 20 years because 
it seems from an outsider's point of view that he's only taking a lot of this work because he has to pay off his debts. But I do think, at least in recent years, he's come to really embrace and love mm-hmm. what he's become, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. for uh, the modern audience Yeah, as this kind of kooky character actor. But he can still bring his A-game, and I think this film showed that. Yeah, I agree. I think, I, I mean, if we're talking about Nick Cage as an actor... I do think that he has the chops that it takes to carry a film. Yeah. A serious um, film. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or a silly film. I'm thinking back upon, you know, cause he did like, gosh, there's so many films that we could talk about national treasure. He was in ghost rider one and two objectively amazing film. I thought you were, <laughs> I th- I thought you were going to say objection. No. <laughs> I've been watching too many lawyer things lately. Gone in 60 Seconds, Gone Deja, 60 vu. Seconds Deja Vu. He did the, the Wicker Man. Yeah, The Wicker Man. Oh, he also did, you know, The Weatherman, which was like another sort of drama uh, film that came out in the early 2000s. And then The Family Man, which was like a basically a remake of It's a Wonderful Life, which I actually really liked when it came out. Have you seen Adaptation? Yeah, yeah. With That was, wasn't that a... Uh, that was, yeah. That, that script was... Being John Malkovich? Yeah, what's his Are name? Are you saying the, the, the writer of the film? Yeah, it's the dude... Right? Uh, I'm blanking. He just did, I think, he Evening Things, I think. Charlie Kaufman. Thank you. Kaufman, yeah. So Nick Cage has worked with all these amazing people. Mm-hmm. And his I think his pedigree speaks for itself. I almost wish they, they threw a line at, for, out for Pig from last year, but it would have been, it yeah. wouldn't have made sense because this film was actually like one of the COVID films like Pig. That, yeah. You know. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about Pig because it was it was good to see him in a more serious role. And... And then I saw the trailers for the other ones that he came out with recently, like the the Chuck E. Oh, Cheese film. Yeah, Willy's Wonderland. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like a Five Nights at Freddy's spin. Yeah, and apparently he doesn't say a word in the whole thing. Yeah, which was his creative choice. I read. That's cool. I dude's a legend. <laughs> I would really like to see that film just because that that premise really interests me. But yeah, no, he's he's takes interesting roles. Some people hate him. Like we, I, we used to work with this coworker here that just absolutely <laughs> deplore. He despised him. They don't get it. <laughs> he thought he was the most deplorable person in the world. That's so sad. But I've never been the biggest fan of Nick Cage. I, I do like him, but I, you know, I do like seeing him in roles like this, especially like Pig, like like this film. I've enjoyed seeing him in the movies that I have. He's always just been kind of like there for me like there in the background but yeah he was always there for you (laughs) he was always there for me but you know i'm i i am really happy that this film was made i i think the the underlying idea that i would like to leave this episode and this podcast with is that i want to see more films like this that Mm -hmm. are risk-taking sort of one-off by like directors that that are trying things and also you know, trying to do something else other than what they were criticizing in this film, which is like Marvel films and like Disney and all that stuff, Star Wars. Like if you don't do that, then you, the film's not going to be successful. I think we need to support films like this and we need to um, g- like, you know, go see them and have them make money so that we see more independent films like this. So I'm calling it independent, even though it's Lionsgate, but I mean independent because it's independent of Star Wars and Marvel and like big blockbuster. Warner it's an Bros. original films. idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think we need to support films like this. Otherwise, they're just going to go away. And yeah. and that's kind of kind of reminded me of everything everywhere in that way. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, I will just say one last thing that uh, this film probably wouldn't have been nearly as good also if it wasn't for Pedro Pascal, which we already, we already threw some praise on his name, but he is incredible. And I'm so, so excited good. every time I see him now on the cast list. And he's only been working for like 10 years. I mean, like in terms of mainstream, right. like it right. was Game of Thrones that, that made him blow up, which was he did Prince Oberyn like in, two, it was literally 10 years ago, I think. And since then, my man's been in everything. He's now iconic Star Wars yep. hero. He's the Mandalorian. He's go- he's going to be in the Last of in Us, the iconic Last of Us. Which I he's going to kill it. The whole time I was watching this, I was thinking, I cannot wait to see him in the he Last of Us. He is so good. Yeah, I have such a big cr- when he, he was in his party sequence, and he was like, he was looking across the courtyard from Nick Cage. I was like, he's so handsome. Yeah, I'm crushing on this man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's also just really. Like you said, I mean the, that was his role in this film, but he he seems to have like this heart of gold kind of, yeah, like underlying. And he had that too, actually, in Wonder Woman. I don't know if you ever saw that movie, but that was a thing about that character that I really liked. Is he just seemed to, he was so likable in yeah. that film, um, so lovable. And I feel like, like him trying to be this drug lord, he definitely has those moments of rage where you're like, oh wow, he could he could really go there. Yeah, but he also is so lovable at the same time. And I'm like, wow, he he's it's it's rare to find an actor like that that can play both almost simultaneously. Yeah, and he also this might just be naivety speaking, but he seems pretty down to earth every time I've seen him. In, yeah, uh, doing press or whatever. Yeah, he seems just like a nice guy. I'd love to have a beer with him. Yeah, I agree. And Nick Cage. <laughs> He's a legend. Anyway, great movie. Highly recommend. Yeah, I think y'all should check it out uh, if you have the time. And it looks like something that might interest you. Yeah, if you have any love for Nick Cage whatsoever. Or just cinema. Because yeah. this, I think this is the best of a lot of worlds. It's like the best of the rom-com world. It's got the bromance thrown in. It's got classic cinema uh, ideologies. It's got the like what they were saying, like adult drama, where it's like a very complex character study in the beginning. Yeah. But then it has the big action sequences in the end. So there is, you know... But quote, I will, quote unquote, I, something for everyone. You I know? will say, though, you have to have at least a cursory knowledge of Nick Cage's yeah. career to really, like, you know, yeah. appreciate half Just the stuff. Just go on YouTube and look up, like, best Nick Cage scenes. And if you, if you don't know who Nick Cage is, where have you been? Yeah. National Treasure? You probably, probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast. I inst- I, right now, I want to go watch a Nick Cage marathon. That's where I'm at. Not that he was ever gone. Would, will you do it? I might do it. If if it was easy to stream those, I would. I really have to watch. Feel, feel, I have to watch Face Off. I feel like I'm not I've never complete. Seen Face and, Off either. We should watch it and do a cast on it. We should live stream watching Face Off. Yeah, it's easy to forget how insane some of those parts are. Wasn't he also? This is unrelated too, but wasn't he going to be Superman at one point? Yeah. There's, who who's supposed lot. to direct that? Was that Coppola? Coppola. <sighs> Coppola was going to do Superman with Nick Cage. Someone was going to do it. But it didn't happen. But I'd pay money to see that. It film. was called Superman Lives, and there's actual like I think there's there's a really famous video of test footage of him in a suit, and the the suit has like this electricity that shoots through it. That's hot. It was supposed to be like a sort of a Tim Burton take on Superman, which I'm so glad didn't happen. I'm so glad it didn't happen because I love Superman as well. There's a Tim in a place for Burton. A Tim in a place. There's a Tim in a place. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a song from the unbearable weight of massive talent.